Welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit FreeWholesaleCourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Your host, Mike Slane, today, and I've got a very special guest. I'm very excited to welcome TJ Cozen on. TJ, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to be here. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about TJ and what you guys are doing, freaking dominating down there in Texas. At least that's what I hear. Uh, just crushing the game in, in all things real estate, right? How's it going down there? Uh, well, uh, first of all, who, who's lying about us, man? I got I to gotta call <laughs> them out on Facebook. No, it's going good. It's going good. Like it's a, it's a hot market, but it's a, it's a solid market. We love, we love working in Dallas. So we do a pretty high volume of flips, wholesales, and probably maybe 30, 35% wholesales. Uh, we do marketing all in DFW. So DFW is like freaking huge. We're six, seven mm-hmm. million people, plenty of deals here. But we also do some campaigns in uh, like the kind of whole state, well, like selected counties, and we're doing some stuff in North Carolina. So we're now we're having fun. Oh, wow. We're having fun. Cool. So you guys are yeah. doing the virtual the virtual game too. I was about to ask if you were driving to all those properties across the state, but no. uh, the quick answer is no, and that's great. Uh, we, we, when we close on stuff, we usually have one of the guys in the office put eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're if we're just wholesaling, we kind of do the. And again, we don't do a ton of wholesaling, but when we do, um, you know, we try to do as little work as possible, make as much money as possible. I think that's that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Well, I mean, not if you go to school and listen to the man. You know, that's the exact opposite. Well, yeah, I I, I wouldn't know a whole lot about that. I, I haven't had a real job since uh, I was a loan officer in 2006, and I did that for like six months, and I. I I think I was pretty good at it, but it's the last time I had like even a real job. And I'm not even sure if that counted as a real job. I think I was about the same. I honestly, I'm so bad with time. I mean, I don't even know. I've been in this game for, yeah, about uh, eight years, nine years full time now. So that puts us around the same time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's so much more fun. And I agree with you, man. You just kind of try to try to work as little as possible, but accomplish as much as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's different stages, I guess, to the business kind of development. And I think we're probably in a pretty similar stage in the business where the, like, you got to go through the hustler stage, the like figure stuff out stage, the work your ass off, work your butt off stage or whatever. Um, And then the next kind of phase two is probably business building and then working on focusing on people instead of, instead of product. And that's, I think that's so much more rewarding. Um, And then probably phase three is like kind of more taking yourself out of the business and working on like higher level stuff. And that's, you know, that's obviously a third level struggle, but um, being in phase two is kind of nice because you kind of pick and choose what you want to do. You put people in the right seats that you don't want to like work on and kind of, you know, expand as much as you can, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think I I love the way you you phrase that phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, And I do, I, I think phase two has been really fun for me. You know, phase one, you're right, is really just a hustle mm-hmm. and it's a grind. And I just had lunch with a buddy and he's a couple of years behind. And, and I said, man, you are so close to that hump or over the hill, you know, to where yeah. it's like once once you get a couple of years in, you, you're in that phase two. Right. And that's when it kind of gets it gets easier. 
it gets a little bit more fun. You're a little bit more relaxed day to day, I think. I think and you change you change your mindset from a kind of a transactional, transactional, almost self-employed kind of thing where you know you're trying to hustle, you're trying to get the next deal, you're trying to do all that, but you're really putting yourself in all the different seats versus when you change, and it's a I mean it's a big leap. It's a big leap, isn't it? But when you change from I I gotta do all this different stuff myself to well, how do I build up people and put people in the right place? and have them do stuff that uh you know i maybe just don't want to do or maybe i'm not good at and you know it's kind of a it's kind of a leap of faith and it's also uh kind of you get their best way by doing i think more volume because i like to say i'm i like to say two things in the business one i'm not trying to outwork anyone uh we work really hard and we do a lot of work and but we try to optimize what's working for us Mm -hmm. and two i work under a lot less stress the more deals we have if we have just a couple deals on the board um then I'm stressed because if one of those deals goes south, it can take out, you know, it can take out a month or it can, you know, if it's really bad, it can take out a while. But if you have, you know, 20, 25 deals on the board, um, the kind of, the kind of not so good ones kind of weed themselves out and you don't really feel them too bad. And the really good home runs that you, uh, you know, you pat yourself on the back when you do them. But realistically, the only reason you got them is because you're doing enough volume to be able to kind of stumble into them. The harder, the, the more you work and the more, like optimized, I think your work is the more uh, really lucky you become. Like you, you stumble on the lucky ones once in a while. Now they're fun. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I really do think that, yeah, you you create your own luck. Uh, luck is one of those things that, yeah, they talk about a lot. And I don't try to be too motivational on it, but yeah, it is. It's just, it's true. I mean, you just have to work and eventually you get lucky by working hard enough and, yeah, and doing I'm, enough volume. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. what do you do? What do you do mostly? I mean, I'm coming from kind of a newer investor mindset. At least I always try to talk to the newer investor on the podcast. Um, and I'm thinking like wholesale. So are you talking about uh, wholesale specifically or wholesale um, or the rental acquisition or the flips? I mean, what do you guys focus on and, and what's your kind of bread and butter down there what are you guys doing most yeah dude i i love that question and what probably the same as you guys because you guys do a ton mm-hmm. of rentals you do some flips you do some other stuff uh, i think i think the best way for newest newer investor to get started is you use the word focus and i actually have it on my uh computer screen right here focus in big letters because <laughs> it's easy to get the shiny object and oh man i can do that and i can do that and i can do that and each time you do something different you kind of lose effectiveness i think in what you are already good at doing so I think it's really critical for investors in the space to really start with something that they want to do, because realistically, it, it all makes money. There's all a pathway for making it make money. It doesn't mean you can't lose money in different avenues, but it all makes money. You know, wholesales make money, flips, wholesales, uh, rentals, all that stuff makes money. But it really, you know, you got to pick a path that maybe someone else, I don't know, maybe get a mentor or something. I don't even know. But maybe you follow someone else that knows what they're doing or get some tips and say, hey, do, do one thing first and like focus on that and then start adding on these extra things here and there. Um, so having been in the business a while, we, uh, we focus on different stuff, really. We're primarily um, rehab. So we do a ton of fix and flips. Um, we do a decent volume of wholesales, uh, but we do those more when we, uh, it just deals either with that don't really kind of fit our buy criteria, or if we're just uh, feel kind of overextended on the flip process, maybe we'll wholesale a couple more than general. And then the niche that we really love, though, in our Dallas market when stuff is super hot is the wholesale market, which is the kind of combination between retail up here and wholesale down here. And what we've noticed, especially in our market, because I like to look at our business itself, 
as being a marketing company more than a real estate company where real estate is just the product. So we do a lot of, all of our deals are direct to seller, probably the same as you guys, but we really focus on those KPIs even more than the flip KPIs. Because if you blow it out of the park with a flip, that's awesome. But it can, you know, it can skew your KPI one way or the other. And if you take a wholesale and make 5K on it and your marketing cost is 3,500 bucks, now KPI wise, it's driving down your average, right? But you and I both know that you got to close on the smaller deals in order to, you know, pay the bills. So KPIs can be kind of a skewed metric. Oh, they're so tricky, man. We, we never really fine tuned our KPIs like we should. Uh, because it's kind yeah. of a moving target. And so, yeah, getting on that, I guess, talking about the marketing company, I like to say that we don't, um, we don't repeat the product because the product is always relatively unique to the house. You don't know exactly what you're getting, but you repeat the process. So if you, like you and, you and us both, if we have the marketing like fine-tuned and working well, then we know it's going to spit out deals. And then once we get the deal, the real estate side of it's relatively straightforward. Uh, you just figure out what you want to do with the house once you got it. Um, and then on the rehab side, since we do a pretty good volume of rehabs, we really try to productify the rehab side as well as we can too, where we're really putting in the same stuff kind of over and over and over again. Like we have our color palette. We like, we have our tile selection. We like our rehabs. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they're not exact. I mean, they're sexy in terms of they look good, but they all look exactly the same. So if I put up 20 rehabs, like, man, that looks just like that one. Like that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I was just, I was actually going to ask that because, I mean, rehabbing to me, like, I don't think we've had the same success as you. Uh, it's been more of a challenge. I just, I don't like the rehabs. I don't like dealing with the, uh, the retail buyers, the retail agents. It's just not something that, that we've really enjoyed. We really like the rental side of it more. See, that's kind um, of funny because I am bad. I mean, I'm not bad. We're good at rentals, but I'm bad yeah. like up here with wanting to have more rentals. And we talked, yeah, before oh, the man. show a little bit where like, I need to build up the rental portfolio more. We've had a bunch in the past that we've done decent mm -hmm. on and we have some, but no, we, we like, I, I guess I get a little greedy with the transactional income with turning over another deal and making kind of the, the big chunky piece. Yeah. The big spreads are fun, man. That's the sexy, right? Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. That's the sizzle, man. People love the, the big numbers. Um, so to me, I really like the, the analogy of a piggy bank. You got uh, Donald, uh, Donald Duck behind you or Scrooge McDuck or whoever it is back there, right? He's my hero. He's I love it. He's, he's my hero, yeah. dude. So he's swimming in a pile of money, man. That's what I like. I like piggy banks. So Dave gave me this analogy and I absolutely love it. Um, is we look at every house as a piggy bank and it forces you to save those paychecks. So every time you buy a rental property, it's basically just another piggy bank. Or kind of in your picture there, it's another coin. Like every yeah. single one is just another one that you're forcing yourself to, to save as opposed to spend a day. So that's really where my passion lies. And uh, again, I'm kind of interested. I want to hear a little bit more about, because um, you are doing it all, which is amazing. Uh, but you've got uh, the focus and the shiny object syndrome. You mentioned that a few a few minutes ago. So what yeah. is your focus, TJ? I'm, I'm hearing so many things. And, and it's because, again, we all in real estate, uh, I feel like once the longer we're in it, the more we're doing, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, yeah. So, I mean, which one is your focus in your in your business or in your market? I mean, which one do you really, is it, is it know, those big paychecks? Is that the, no, it's, that it's the a, it, no, you know, it's a fantastic question. Um, and I guess taking a step back, our focus is the direct-to-seller marketing. So okay. our focus is getting, again, going back to, I, I consider the company almost a marketing company, mm -hmm. not a real estate okay, company. Okay, very good. 
And so that's, those are the KPIs we look at. We look at the cost per deal. We look at the cost per lead. We look at the um, responsiveness of the seller. We rank our leads based on different criteria and different follow-up kind of criteria. And we focus on that because we've been doing it long enough where the real estate side is really, like I said, going back to the flips, is really kind of boring uh, because they all look the same when we, they all smell the same when you get them. And if you're doing your job right, they all look the same when you get rid of them and hopefully they smell a lot better. So, um, so we really, we really try to focus on the lead gen and the marketing, the operational side. And then, and then the product itself, we really, we really do kind of a just product by product analysis. So, uh, I think our, our niche that we like, again, is the wholetailing niche because mm-hmm. we find it very profitable on the sales side. Then we have, a, we have a handful of burrs. We have a handful of rentals. Uh, we have some self-storage. Um, our most profitable things are definitely our flips. Our second most profitable in terms of like, like immediate ROI are the wholetails. And our wholesales, uh, we're, not, we're probably not the best at wholesaling because we do close on a lot of deals ourselves because we see the other profit potential from one of the other exit strategies. So we tend to, again, not really, not really wholesale unless it just doesn't fit into our kind of buy box or maybe we're like tapped out capacity wise on the flip side, but that's, I mean, that's tough to do. We can do quite a few deals. We have something like uh, 17, I think on the board right now in one phase or another. So we don't get tapped out on that side too often. Um, the wholesale is strange enough what in our market in Dallas, we get the most questions about really because people don't really understand it. So retail is obviously, you know, putting on the MLS, blowing it out, it's easy to comp because you take three properties that all look like pretty much like yours, like on the nice side and figure out the pricing on yours and sell it. Um, wholesale pricing is pretty easy too, right? Because you're not, not, you're not closing on the property and you don't own it. So it kind of is what you can sell it for. Like mm-hmm. ideally, you know, 80% minus repairs in some crazy hot markets, 85% minus repairs, which I don't really understand. Uh, in some slower markets, it's probably still down to like 75% minus repairs. If you're a weird rural something out in the middle of nowhere, I don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is kind of what you can sell it for as long as you're setting the expectation with the sellers. But the wholesale is such a kind of in the middle market that we found, we found a great niche where we, we really like it and, and we do a lot of those. Cool. Let me, let me harbor on one point, which I've always loved. And you said that you consider yourself a marketing company and I've always considered myself uh, ever since I was self-employed, rather, a marketer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, was an entrepreneurship class, and they said this, and it's been burned in my head ever since. It's no matter what business you're in, you are in the business of marketing. Oh, of course. So I absolutely love that. You cannot keep your, your business a secret. And I love that you focus on your KPIs. Uh, looks like there was another accident outside our office building. Almost oh, every. That's not good. Almost every day, there's somebody oh, that uh, it's just little fender benders. Every time you hear the screech, the same thing every time. Oh, that's awesome. uh, yeah. So, anyways, you, no matter what business you're in, though, you are in the business of marketing. I love that. I love that you have that mindset. I do. I I am impressed with your uh, rehab operation because, like I said, I just we haven't really scaled that up the same way. Um, and uh, but I do want to hear a little bit more about your wholesale stuff, and I'd love for you to share some of your. Uh, wisdom on that because I think it's a it's a difficult thing mm-hmm. uh, for us. So what do you do with the wholesale? What we used to do, I mean, we kind of look at them as mini flips. Like uh, we knock the ugly off of it. You know, like you'd get a grandma house or a hoarder house or something, and you close on it because you'd be marketing direct to the seller. Like we talked about, no matter what business you're doing, that marketing. Mm-hmm. So you're buying it off market, right? And then we would take it and we'd clean it out. 
And what we, where we get ourselves in trouble is we tend to, uh, oh man, we probably should paint it. And then it's like, oh man, we probably should do this. And it's like, oh man, we probably should do this. So yeah, that happens. what are you guys doing down there? How are you doing it to, uh, oh, we do, yeah, we do that too. We turn them into flips sometimes. Uh, okay, cool. And... So you're, you're doing, <laughs> we try not to. Right. We try not to. We're not the only ones struggling. No, we try, we try not to. So, um, there's it's really a spectrum right isn't it yeah because a flip is easy if you're blowing it out and making it nice you, you match the guy you know three doors down that sold it's a flip or whatever if it's in a good market or like we do we get a look that really works and our look works kind of below four hundred thousand dollars we do the same thing on every single look and above that we'll you know we'll customize stuff here and there appropriate for the neighborhood um but wholetail is so different because you're not shooting for that top of the market dollar and you're obviously you need to recoup your transactional costs because you're closing on the deal like you like you mentioned you're recouping the cost of capital because, you know, either if, even if you're doing it in cash, you still got to figure that in, in terms of like your profitability. So it's more of a moving target. Um, we, so the way we've done it actually really well is kind of two ways. Uh, well, there's a lot of advantages to it also, obviously. So the advantage that we've noticed is everyone knows the retail market is kind of, you know, it's going like that. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed the wholesale yeah. market is probably maybe going up at a little bit steeper rate, but not really a, significantly steeper rate but the wholetail market is especially in markets like dfw where the supply is fairly constrained and i mean that's kind of nationwide but i think dfw is probably may maybe more exaggerated we've noticed the whole the wholetail prices have really kind of accelerated and been a little closer to the retail pricing depending on the product type so what i mean by that is when we so uh like operational wise when we buy a wholetail we always do exactly like you said uh, we always clean it up. If it's a hoarder house, we take out all the crap. We, mm-hmm. we give the potential buyer what we like to consider like a blank slate for uh, their, them being able to come in and figure out what they, what they want to do with the property. So we're always in t- like, obviously, honesty is huge in this business, but we're always in, like brutally honest in our listings. So hey, handyman special needs work. If it's cosmetic, you know, cosmetic fixer um, will not go FHA because haven't owned it 90 days so it's not going to go fha right. uh, if it's conventional you know we'll say yeah it can go conventional but buyers not like you know sellers not really likely to do many repairs on it that kind of thing um and the the times we get into trouble is when we start uh like you do you start tugging on the string and next thing you know the whole the whole sweater unravels okay what do we do you sit there going like ah man i didn't want to flip this and then you do, and then you make money, so it's not so bad. So we've gotten in trouble, obviously, doing that. The other times we've, uh, and I don't want to say gotten in trouble, but the only other times we've kind of missed the mark, since it is more of a uh, subjective price point, is when we haven't really identified the buyer avatar for who's the likely end consumer for the product. Um, because we just started closing on stuff and stick on the MLS and making money. And we noticed we'd make a lot of money on this, and we make like a little bit of money on this. And we're like, what the hell's going on? This is weird. I don't understand. Um, so what we started doing was we kind of reverse engineered and analyzed what we'd been like making and mm-hmm. then say, well, who's the buyer for this one and who's the buyer for that one? And why are they different? Uh, because, because the product is different. The product is different levels of kind of screwed upness, uh, on the high end. So on the highest end, I suppose, of a whole tale, it's like grandma's house, like you're mentioning, where we're taking out all the trash in Dallas. We have a lot of foundation issues. So we generally fix the foundation. Um, and then we restretch the carpet, we vacuum the carpet, we uh, dust the bugs off the windowsill because they've been there since the 80s. Um, and we give the buyer a blank slate. You guys are uh, mostly uh, slab houses, right? You said you have foundation issues, but there's not a lot of basements. 
No, no basements. No basements really in DFW. I think I've seen maybe two since I've been here. Yeah. I've been in Texas uh, seven years. Okay. Uh, but slab and pyramid beam both. So crawl space. Okay. Uh, crawl space is a lot easier to shim up and like raise up when you get little wonky wonks yeah. in them. Yeah. The slab, you got to, it's a different process entirely. But it's such a huge business in North Texas that it's a, it's a pretty knowable risk in terms of when you're, when you're acquiring the property. So we always, we always do those things on the front end. And then we look at the property and be like, well, who's, who's going to buy the property? So we identify, uh, in our company, we identify four different levels of potential buyers. And that kind of dictates our price point. And another input that kind of uh, sways which way the buyer is likely to be is um, the condition of the property and the neighborhood the property is in. So on the, on the highest end, the best house is grandma's house with pink tile, but everything's functional. Everything works. The foundation's good. The a- AC, uh, we probably fixed the AC in those circumstances. And at that price point, we're going to target a conventional buyer that wants to come in and do some sweat equity to the house, uh, but wants to have some equity when they're done. And they, they make the most money. So we've made flip profits for wholesale deals and even probably sometimes more than flip profits on wholesale deals with, wow. houses, with houses that we're able to target for a conventional buyer, uh, which is awesome, which is a great niche to be in. Um, now, not everything, obviously, uh, not everything goes conventional. So l- layer two is maybe a cash flow investor buyer that's buying off the MLS. And they don't usually want a lot of, a lot of structural weird stuff. They want kind of a cosmetic fixer and they want to maybe have it for a cash flow property where they're okay with you know some equity, um, but it needs to be livable and clean and comfortable. And in those cases, sometimes we'll put in carpet. Sometimes we don't generally paint. We don't. By the time you get to painting, I think you're almost at a flip kind of. You're at a different level of a flip. Um, but we'll sometimes put in carpet. So we'll put in new carpet over like ugly yellow linoleum from 1953. Um, and again, we'll do the foundation and that's pretty much it. And then we're targeting like a cash flow buyer. Uh, that tends to be a lower price point house. So the cash flow number has to make sense. I don't know about you. It always cracks me up when I see a like a, a newer wholesaler put out a deal and say, oh, it's a great cash flow deal. And I'm looking at the numbers on this thing and I'm going like, that's that's a horrible cash flow deal. What are you talking about? <laughs> the only thing, the only reason you think it's a good cash flow deal is because you couldn't negotiate a better deal to make it a deal for anything. So yeah. if you move it, that's awesome. I'm happy for you, uh, but it doesn't. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so that's like layer two is the cash flow buyer. Layer three is an investor buyer that's probably still at the end of the day like a cash flow buyer, but is willing to do a little bit more work to it. And each one of these layers gets us like farther away from full ARV. Um, and the uh, the buyer that we don't want to target is the flipper buyer. So the flipper buyer they need to have a projected profit on the back end. And they need to make money on it. Well, if they're going to do all that, then why are we able to sell it for wholesale price? Uh, and we've done that. You know, we do we do that very successfully sometimes. Um, sometimes by just buying incredibly well. Sometimes by occasionally misjudging what the ARV is. Because if our market's going up like this, you know, once in a while the ARV is a little higher than we expect it to be. So the flipper buyers can can make some good money on it. Uh, but those are kind of the four different criteria that we target for wholesale properties. Um, and we notice, obviously, the higher, the better the property is, the more it sells for. That just makes sense. But that's where we started. That's where we started noticing, like, okay, we've made four grand. I think our, our, our lousiest hotel was like $3,000. And that's mm-hmm. a horrible profit for something that you close on. I'm like, what, what do we mess up on this property? Because our numbers, we're basing the same numbers, this, you know, kind of the same across the board. 
like, oh, we targeted a different buyer for that property than that property because we put another one on the market, we'd make like 40 grand on it. Like, that's awesome. Let's do that with everything. Um, so then when we started identifying these buyer avatars, it really dialed in our both our buying criteria. And it also dialed in maybe doing a little bit of a uh, additional improvement in the wholesale pricing to get it to more of a conventional buyer target. So if you have a house that's fixed the foundation, but it's got busted toilets. I don't know why this got busted toilets, maybe pipes froze or whatever. We'll put in some toilets. Um, and that's really helped us kind of kind of dial in the wholesale like strategy. Oh, that's awesome, man. I really like that, uh, that thought process and, and walking me through it. Maybe it'll help me on the next one. Uh, the only reason we stumbled on it was because we screwed yeah. it up a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we screwed it up plenty. And I think that's the problem is that we do. Uh, we just don't know where to stop because uh, we, we like nice stuff. You know, I mean, even yeah. our rentals, we probably overdo. Um, oh, I absolutely overdo my rentals. Yeah. In comparison to some other people. Um, and, and I think that's probably our problem with it. But again, keeping that avatar in mind is a great mm-hmm. uh, great way to look at it because I, I think that that would prevent us from even touching something. Um, yeah. As if we're thinking, Hey, we're just going to sell this to a flipper and, mm-hmm. or, Hey, we're just going to sell this to the retail buyer. Well then, yeah, you're going to spend more on the carpet. You know, you're not going to go with the cheapest right. 39 cent Home Depot carpet. You'll get the the nice grayish that, uh, that everybody wants. Yeah. Right? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool, man. TJ. I love it. I love it. Dialed in is how I would say your wholesale game, man. Well, we try. We try to be. We try to be. It, I mean, I guess the caveat with that is if you have good, good solid, and it's hard to get wholesale comps sometimes. But if you have good solid wholesale comps, don't don't be pricing above it. Like don't be pricing above other wholesale comps uh, because that's where you can run into issues. So we've noticed kind of a general formula for us for like a retail buyer or like a conventional buyer, and even sometimes a cash flow buyer is really full ARV times about 95% minus a conservative repair estimate um, gets us a good, a good starting price point for a wholesale buyer. And then, and then, you know, and then you tweak numbers because uh, my rehab is going to be different than the end buyer's rehab number. Maybe uh, the nicer house is going to sell for a little bit more. The beat up house is going to sell for less. And then if you, if, if that number isn't right, you're going to look at comps and be like, well, that number's way off base because this house sold for a lot less on a comp perspective. So then you got to look at the comps and dig into those. So it definitely, like you said, it takes more market knowledge and more dialing in. Um, but profitability, it's, it's massively profitable. So which, uh, and I'm just, I'm just assuming um, profitability wise that the retail, retail buyers are going to be your most profitable ones. I know, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So it is kind of absolutely. your, your, the farther down the scale you go, you're probably decreasing your profit margin, right? For the most part. Yeah. Okay. So. Or you, yeah. I mean, you buy better. Yeah. Assuming everything well, else exactly. you have like to, baseline. Yeah. Yeah. You have to buy, right. I mean, that's right. the, that's the beginning of this game in everything you do in real estate. And um, yeah, I mean, that's another, another truth about real estate too, is what you had mentioned about uh, the rehab cost is that your rehab cost is going to be different than someone else's. So like, that's mm-hmm. just a truth in real estate. Like we can well, I'll tell you what the rehab numbers are, but somebody else is going to say, no, 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 that's 10. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, no, it's 12. I mean, again, you're never going to be yeah. uh, exact with someone else or see hundred percent eye to eye. And that's kind of the beauty of this business too. Allows yeah, it, us all yeah to, it really is. Yeah. It allows us all to make money in it. So it's very, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse, right? Well, it, it's competitive, but all you got—I mean, it's a big industry and a big market. But that just means that there's more room for more players. So for the newer, like you asked, I guess you kind of started that whole 
diatribe on asking about like advice for a newer investor is really, mm -hmm. it really does go back to that focus. Um, even marketing channels, all the different marketing channels work to a certain extent, like bandit signs work. You can do bandit signs wrong. You put bandit signs in a million dollar neighborhood. You're not going to probably get a lot of calls, but bandit signs absolutely work. If you know how to make them work for you, cold calling works. Uh, if you make sure that you have the right follow-up sequence and make sure that it works for you. Same thing with, you know, texting or mailers. Uh, we're deep in the online space. So we do a lot of PPC and Facebook and it works really well for us. But I caution people to get in, in our space because there's a lot of ways to make it not work well for you and waste a lot of money doing it. So right. for the new investor- It can be expensive. That's a really good point, man. I mean, we oh, yeah, absolutely. spend a lot of money on the pay-per-click for sure. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, exactly. For the newer investor, you know, pick, I think pick a marketing channel that, you're comfortable with that you're comfortable with thinking that you can figure out and optimize for yourself and then really go kind of as deep as you can in that channel first before uh trying to add on extra things a lot of people with a shiny object syndrome start adding oh i'm 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 okay at texting so let's add on cold calling well maybe because at least you have the data source then at least you already have all the data skip traced and all that stuff but oh man i'm kind of mediocre at texting well let's add on ppc like whoa that, that takes an entirely separate skill set Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where I notice, even in our company, when we add an extra marketing thing, like intellectually, I know this is going to take some, a while for us to figure out because it's different than what we're doing. Right. That's great, man. That's great advice. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed talking with you, TJ. I say, let's go ahead and, um, and wrap it up. Unless you've got something else you want to share. I'd love to uh, share your contact info. If people want to reach out to you, if you're willing to to throw that out there for them and we'll stick it in the oh, show yeah. notes as well. No, What's absolutely. the easiest way for somebody uh, who's trying to get a in touch with you to, to find you? No, absolutely. Uh, hit me up on Facebook. We're super active in the local like Dallas groups. Um, my uh, TJ Cozen on Facebook. So that's pretty straightforward to see. Mm -hmm. We've, we've bought houses off of Instagram posts. So I've had people like shoot me a DM on Instagram and be like, Hey, what do you think? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll buy that house. So TJ Cozen on Instagram uh tjcozen.com is our like kind of our personal landing page and stuff so that's easy to find and uh just super approachable would love to help any newer investors in especially the local texas market um but you know analyze deals look at deals we uh we jv with folks sometimes and we're always down to like look at someone's marketing and kind of give some tips on how to get things working well great Great. Well, TJ, thank you so much, man. I think you shared uh, some really valuable nuggets, especially on that wholetailing. If that's something you guys are thinking about doing, uh, anyone in the audience, uh, dial in that avatar, man. I think that's the the nugget that I'm taking from this one. And next time yeah. we do wholetail, uh, figure out who the heck the buyer is first, right? Before uh, you uh, always always buy better. That's always the solution. Is always oh, well, buy there better. You go. Yeah. <laughs> but after yeah. that, after that, figure out who's going to buy your thing when you're done with it. Because retail is easy, wholesale is easy, the big spectrum in the middle. It's challenging, man. It, it really is. is. Yeah. It is. TJ, thank you so much. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, and we will catch you guys on the next show. Thanks, TJ. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. 
Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.